Psalm 123, the message translation. I look up to you, heavenly dwelling God, look up to you for help. Like servants alert to their master's commands, like a maiden attending her lady. We're watching and waiting, holding our breath, awaiting your word of mercy. Mercy, God, mercy. We've been kicked around long enough, kicked in the teeth by complacent rich men, kicked when we're down by arrogant brutes. Hi. Today we're going to look at Psalm 123, and in particular, we'll be focusing on what this psalm teaches us about service to God. Don't forget, these psalms of ascent are worship psalms. The Jews used to sing these songs as they travel up to Jerusalem and into the temple. So what we'll be thinking through today is, why is service an act of worship? To start off, let me share a story about my childhood. So as you can probably tell, I'm Asian, specifically Chinese, and one of my favorite things about being Chinese is Chinese New Year. Anyone else here agrees? What baffled me as a child was Chinese New Year doesn't fall on the same day every year. It changes. So it made booking flights back to Hong Kong difficult because my parents didn't want my brother and I to miss out on school. So we always had to wait for a good year to go back without cutting too much into school time. But what's even more baffling about Chinese New Year is all the traditions that we do. My favourite is red pockets. On special occasions like Chinese New Year and birthdays, my parents would give me money. But just giving me money is considered rude. So Chinese people like to gift money in a red envelope. Red symbolises prosperity. It's a special colour for us. Now, my parents, and I'm sure many other Chinese parents, don't usually give money to their kids because they're too lazy to think of a gift for them. Traditionally, giving money to someone in a red envelope is an act of blessing the receiver. But there's a small catch. Before we receive the red pocket, we are meant to give a blessing to each other. Usually an older person would bless a younger person in their studies, career or relationships. And the younger person would bless the older person in their health and longevity. The act of giving and receiving a red pocket is quite significant if we take it seriously. My parents took it seriously. And from a young age, they wanted to teach my brother and I the importance of serving our parents. Every year when Chinese New Year comes around, it's like Christmas Day morning or whenever your family likes to open presents. As soon as I opened my eyes, I'd run downstairs to the kitchen to make tea, pour it in nice teacups and then carry the tea on a tray to my parents' bedroom. One by one, I served the tea to them using two hands because that's the polite way of doing it. And then I wished them good health and longevity. And in turn, my parents would have two red pockets ready for me. One from mum, one from dad, and they'll bless me. What I've learned over the years is that at first I did it for the money, but over time I understood the meaning behind this tradition and I discovered joy in serving my parents. This extended to more than just preparing and serving tea to them. I've realized that serving them in other aspects of life is joyful and even life-giving. So I wanted to use this illustration to help us think about the joy of serving God. 
Now, I want to make it clear that God doesn't withhold blessings from us until we serve him some tea. Definitely not. God loves to bless us in so many different ways and he'll never manipulate us like that. What I do want to bring out is that serving God is part of our part of our discipleship journey because it's an act of worship. And as we learn to serve God wholeheartedly, we will gradually discover the joy that it brings. Today, I'd like to answer three key questions in relation to our sermon topic. Firstly, why should Christians serve God? Secondly, how should we serve God? And thirdly, how do we respond to opposition from the world? Firstly, why should Christians serve God? Serving like worship is a response to who God is or what he's done for us. In this psalm, it specifically looks at God's mercy and provision for us using a metaphor in verse 2. It says, as the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord, our God, till he shows us his mercy. This sounds like David is comparing God to a cruel master, but that's not true at all. Firstly, the term slave they used is very different to how we understand that word. In the past, when someone needed money to support their family, they could sell themselves as slaves to work in their master's field. This was not God's design. The result of sin meant some people became financially disadvantaged. God put in laws to protect slaves too. In fact, God actually said, If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents among you. The most countercultural law regarding slaves is the Sabbath year. Every seven years, masters who own slaves are required to set their slaves free. Exodus 21 verse 2 says, If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year he shall go free without paying anything. Masters can't force their slaves to work for them forever. And there's more. God is so good. After the seventh, seventh year, that is after 49 years, on the 50th year, there's the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee is basically a repeat of the seventh year. Plus, on the year of Jubilee, the land is required to get rest. And if you bought someone's land, you have to return it to them. That is crazy. Total upside down method of running an economy. God put these laws in place to protect people, protect the vulnerable, and to protect the land. There's another interesting aspect to God's laws about slaves. Let me remind you again that this system of slavery was never a part of God's design in creation. It was after the fall that we see economic disparity in the world and people res resort to selling themselves to work for money. God puts these laws in place to protect people, especially the vulnerable. So an interesting addition to the law God puts in is that if on the Sabbath year a slave wishes to stay working for his or her master, they can choose to do so. Exodus 21 verses 5 to 6 says, If the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and I do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant 
for life. Why am I giving all this background knowledge about God's laws for masters and slaves? Well, it's because I wanted to show you that God is portrayed here as a benevolent master who cares for his people. And because of his caring and loving nature, God's people would love and trust him too. Just like the law in Exodus 21. If a servant or slave loves his master, he and his family can stay. They will become servants to the master for life. I'm sure there were masters back then who were benevolent and kind to their slaves, which makes David's metaphor of the master-slave relationship powerful to the Israelites. Listen to the words of Psalm 123 verse 2 again. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. There's no better master than God. So that's why we should serve God out of a grateful response to him. God has shown us mercy. He provides for our needs as the master does for his servant. Christians should serve God because he loves us, cares for us, and has shown us mercy. If Christians should serve God, then the next natural question would be, how should we serve God? Psalm 123 verse 1 tells us, I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. As I mentioned before, service should be an act of worship, a response to God's good grace and mercy to us. David begins this psalm with the call to worship. I lift up my eyes to you. So service must be done with our eyes fixed on Jesus. When we serve God, it's always done with a worshipful heart. In Romans, Paul wrote, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In the original Greek here, the word worship also means service. So essentially what Paul is urging us to do is to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, as our true and proper service to him. Service must be done with our eyes fixed on Jesus and service must be a living sacrifice. In other words, every part of our lives should be serving God. It's not just the Sunday thing where you serve in the band, provide morning tea or lead, lead kids and youth ministry. These are all important ministries to be serving in, but you're not truly serving God until you make a commitment to, to serve God in every aspect of your life. Do you serve God at home? Do you serve God at work? Do you serve God when you're holidaying? What about when there's a crisis? Sometimes I hear people say that they're really busy serving God on a Sunday. Great. That's awesome if you enjoy serving God on Sundays. What about busy serving your family, your friends and neighbours during the week? Imagine what kind of community we're building if we all see serving God as more than just a Sunday or midweek thing. Imagine what our community will look like if we love God, love others and make disciples every day of the week. Service must be done with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Service must be a living sacrifice and service must magnify God. 
remember John the Baptist? He had an awesome ministry paving the way for Jesus. John the Baptist called many people to repent and baptize them. And he had many disciples. One day his disciples went up to him and said, look, Jesus is baptizing people and everyone is going to him. But rather than getting jealous, John the Baptist replied, I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Service must magnify God. Sometimes we might become so dedicated to serving the Lord that it makes us popular or recognized. But we need to remember that our service and worship to God must always magnify Him and not ourselves. John the Baptist uses an example of the joy a best man has when he waits on his bridegroom. In Psalm chapter 123, we see a similar example where a servant finds joy in serving their master. There's joy in serving a good master. And what, what greater joy than serving the Lord who is our one true and good master? How should we serve God? Service must be done with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Service must be a living sacrifice. Service must magnify God. Here's an interview of Kerry sharing about her joy in serving the Lord. I'm Kerry Wills and I've been um, serving the Lord since 1975 when I was 27 years old. I just love serving the Lord, uh, helping people. I, I love helping people and showing them God's love. And um, and I first started doing that at St Luke's Church when I joined at Hornsby Heights. I joined there um, and I'd only been there two weeks and they wanted help in the Sunday school. So I'd never read the Bible before. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll go down and learn along with the kids. So I was there for four years and then, then my children went to Horns, Hornsby Baptist Church. So I went up there and... Um, I was only there for two weeks and then they needed help in the Sunday school. So I went down there and I've been serving in the Sunday school there for about 23 years. <laughs> okay, and, and, but I loved doing it. It was a great way to be creative. You know, use your creative talents and different skills. And, um, and, and the children are lovely. Yes, I've had a, a lot of fun. Um, and now I'm older. I, I wanted to find other ways to serve the Lord. And um, so since I, um, oh, I, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I, I did Narnia for many years as a coordinator and I love that too. So, um, but anyway, now I'm getting older and I thought to myself, what can I do? You know, St. Paul said that he wanted to serve the Lord all the days of his life. And I thought, well, I want to be like St. Paul. I, I don't want to rust out. I want to wear out. And um, so I want to serve the Lord till I go to glory. So um, my next challenge now is, well, I've been doing scripture at Hornsby South School for the last 10 years. And I love that. At, at first, when I went to do it, I was really 
bit scared to do it. I really didn't want to do it. But they kept saying they needed scripture teachers. And I thought, oh, is that really me? Can I do that? And then anyway, after I did the training and went in there um, and with the help, you know, with somebody else at first, I just found I really loved doing it. I love the kids and it's a great way to share about Jesus um, with children. And, um, and it's a chance again to have fun and be creative with the kids. And um, now my, I'm still scripture teaching, but I would now, I've, my next adventure is um, doing chaplaincy at Hornsby Hospital. I'm um, a volunteer chaplain there and I've been visiting patients, but now I'm doing a, a course that will allow me to, to go into the mental health unit and help there. Because people with mental illness, they need to know God's love too. And, and as they say, we can be Jesus to them by showing them love and understanding and listening to them. So that's uh, what I'm in the middle of training for now. And, and uh, yeah, so that's my story. <laughs> Thanks, Carrie, for sharing about your joy in serving God. I think many of us can attest to your servant heart for the Lord. It's inspiring to hear that you're still serving God after so many decades. Thank you for being an excellent role model for us. Serving God brings us joy, but it's not always easy. One thing that makes serving hard is opposition from the world. So the final question I would like to explore with you today is, how do we respond to opposition from the world? Verses 3 to 4 say, Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us, for we have endured no end of contempt. We have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the proud. We live in a world that wants people to conform to a standard of ideals, values or attitudes. In the past, the Israelites stood out from the rest of the world because of two traditions they uphold. The first is circumcision, which actually is not so obvious in public. But the second is observing the Sabbath. Once a week, the Jews would cease work and spend intentional time with their families and reflect on God. Those were the marks of God's people back then. Throughout history, we know that Jewish people were not always accepted for what they did. In fact, sometimes they became a target. People wanted to kill them or destroy their identity. Today, to be God's people or to be a follower of Jesus doesn't require us to be circumcised and observing the Sabbath may look different, but being a Christian is meant to look different. We're meant to stand out because living a life with the Holy Spirit in us should look different. Our values should be different from worldly values. Where we prioritize our time should look different. How we use our gifts and resources that God's blessed us with wouldn't make sense to some people. What does serving God look like in your context? What are habits you've developed that serves Jesus, but to the outsider looks like a complete waste of time? Maybe it's giving up the opportunity for a promotion in order to keep serving God on Sundays. Maybe it's going on fewer holidays and using the money to support those in need. Maybe it's using your house as a place of hospitality for building relationships. 
Christians are meant to act differently from the values of the world. Maybe that's why Jesus was able to attract a large crowd when he was in the world. He didn't let the Pharisees and teachers of the law pressure him to follow their ways. Jesus showed the world what it truly means to be a citizen of God's kingdom, and he lived out what he taught. In Jesus' first sermon, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. It makes perfect sense when Jesus said, You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. We're not children of this kingdom. We're children of God's kingdom. So, how do we respond to opposition from the world? The first part of Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As we continue to serve God with our heart, mind, soul and strength, we will also experience opposition and pushback from the world. Paul reminds us to continue renewing our minds so we don't conform to the ideals, values and attitudes of this world. The world might tell us to make more money, pursue fame or do things that make us happy. The world will make us feel disappointed that serving God is pointless because we don't see instant results. It will trick us to believe that what we do adds no value to the world and God's kingdom. But we must resist the ridicule and contempt from the proud, as Psalm 123 puts it. Instead, we must fix our eyes on Jesus and let our minds be marinated in God's word. To finish up, can I give you two illustrations to help us see that there is joy in serving the Lord even when we face challenges and opposition. The first illustration is about my dad. Before he became a pastor, my dad used to work as a manager for a media company. He managed over 70 staff and was paid a very high salary. But later on, he felt God calling him into full-time ministry. So he gave up his high-paying job and started living a very different life. He's not famous. He doesn't have connections with high-status people. In fact, he's experienced lots of hardships and challenges as a pastor. There were even times when my brother and I complained to him about why he didn't stay being a manager. Life would have been so much easier for us if he did. But still, he's a joyful man and he doesn't regret serving the Lord as a pastor. Because of his life, I've also learned the power of joy despite, despite our circumstances in life. The second illustration is about my mum. In a way, she didn't really have a choice becoming a pastor's wife. I don't really know what it's like in Western culture, but in Chinese culture, being a pastor's wife is very hard. In all my dad's years as a pastor, the amount of abuse my mom had to endure is unbelievable. There were times when I cried with my mom because I felt the enormous burden and pain she had to carry. But my mom is so inspiring. Because even though she's been mistreated so many times, she still gets up in the morning 
And there were some mornings when I thought she couldn't make it. She gets up in the morning, kneels down with my dad beside their bed, and they still pray together, asking God for strength to continue serving him. Serving isn't easy, and it's not just for pastors. Anyone who takes serving seriously will eventually realize that serving isn't easy at all. There are many things you have to give up. What are some things you had to give up because you chose to commit your life to serving the Lord? Was it a high paying job? Was it some of your personal time each week? Was it giving up on a relationship? The world looks at us and wonders why we would do something so stupid. But the Lord's face shines on us and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness.